Empire. Hello and welcome to my podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the John Conn Report wherever you get your podcasts. And subscribe to us on YouTube at Empire Media, that's A-M-P-I-R-E. It would be much appreciated. You can also check out the business side of the NFL with former NFL agent and salary cap expert Joel Corey with his Inside the Cap podcast. And get ready for the NHL playoffs and the Washington Capitals with the All's Cap podcast featuring former Washington Capital Carl Alsner. Today, I'm joined by ESPN NFL draft expert Jordan Reed as we break down the offensive players in the draft. I know Washington likes Chris Olave. What does Jordan think of him? What are other possible options at 11 for Washington on offense, if not a receiver? How about after the first round? We dissect some running backs as well, because that's another position of interest for Washington after the first round. You can follow Jordan on Twitter at Jordan underscore Reed, R-E-I-D, and you can read my work on ESPN.com. You can also listen to the defensive discussion about the draft with Jordan on my previous podcast. Check it out. Before I play my conversation with Jordan, a couple of things. Again, like I just told you, Washington is looking at running backs, which is why they hosted Iowa State running back Brees Hall and Michigan State's Kenneth Walker III this week. They looked at running backs last year, too, so this isn't a surprise. They didn't get one. They got Jared Patterson who's undrafted, but that was it. But they and they really do like, but they were looking and they really do like Antonio Gibson and think he's very, very good and only getting better. But it's a 17 game season and they have a third down back coming off a neck injury. They need to be covered. And while Jarrett Patterson is a good story, they can upgrade here and be in much better shape. When they were in Carolina, they did use a lot of two running back systems there. The way you become a good team is by collecting as many good players as you can and build excellent depth in areas where you want to accentuate. And for this team, they want to be able to run the ball, even with getting Carson Wentz and having that Ron Rivera is a guy that believes in running the ball and, you know, you, and and being able to sustain that. So Walker's a distinct possibility though, because Hall was here. He is as well on that list and keep in mind, just because guys visit does not mean they're going to draft them. And it may be very few guys who visit or end up being drafted here. With a lot of players that are already satisfied with the information they have, so they don't always need that visit. There are players they did not spend enough time with elsewhere or maybe have some medical questions about or just haven't met them yet. So there's a lot of reasons why they do that. And of course, some of it is because they want to draft them. Sometimes it's you may have you have those top 30 visits and you may use a couple on guys on some players just to throw some teams off the scent a little bit. So a lot of reasons, but it does tell you. Um, at least you know where the positions they're interested in. And they've hosted, again, Chris Olave, Alabama's John Mechie, both receivers. The feeling I get from some is that two receivers will go in the top 10, Garrett Wilson and Drake London. That means that they could take Olave at 11. But I also don't believe they view the gap between him and some others as that wide. So I don't, I can't say for sure that they would take him there. I just know that they like him. The line is the area I'm intrigued by. Go by the clues. Rivera talks all the time about the need to not just get a quarterback, but to then protect him. If I were them, I would not consider this group complete. And I would say 
They do not view it that way based on my conversations with them. Now, it depends on where you, some of it will be depth related. Is there a lineman that would tempt them at 11? I think there is. I don't know who it is. If one of these top tackles fell, sure, I could see it. I know they have their tackles. But again, it's about improving the roster. And let's say Ike McWanu falls out of the top 10. I don't think that's going to happen. I really don't. But let's say he does. They really like him. And then if he's sitting there 11, well, you've got to take him if you really like him that much. And you can move Sam Cosby inside. And you now have basically three tackles in your roster. I think Cosby would be really good inside. I think he could always go back out to the right side. And you can push Aquanu over to the left side down the road. But it is it is something, you know, and I don't know if that if they would do that or not. You can wait until at, a little later at a guard after the, you know, later in the draft and call it a day. And they would still feel pretty good about that because Cosme did improve and they do have Charles Leno. Um, so, you know, but there, but you have to be prepared for every single scenario. So if you see that, then that's what you do, but there may be some tackles later in the draft that they feel would be good guards. And so they go that route. We'll see. The other thing that would help them if new Orleans wants to move up to take quarterback, the saints now have that extra first round pick. Um, so they have a couple picks in that first round, in the mid-first round area. I have no clue if the Saints are going to do that. I don't know. It's something to wonder about. And if, a big if, that happened, I'd take one of those picks and try and turn it into more picks in rounds two through four and really stock up on that young talent. Maybe get another pick for next year, too. If you're going to compete in the modern NFL with the way these salaries are going, you better, especially at the impact positions, you better always have some good young and cheap talent on the roster. And this draft is deep. So it's a chance to do that if, you, if you're able to find a dance partner to then move down. And that's always the tricky part. I know last time I talked about Landon Collins and how they welcome him back if they don't fill a spot and if he's still available. Well, I know they would take him back. The question is, has always been more if he wants to return. And I do think he want. I definitely think he wanted to stay here. I've talked to some who know him well, who have their doubts about his desire to then return after being asked to take the two pay cuts. I could see with Landon, him wanting to sign elsewhere, made probably in the NFC for a comparable contract, if that's possible, I don't know. Just because for him, it might be hard to return to a team that did ask him to, take, to twice take a pay cut. I do think, you know, I do think that plays into this. I don't know what he's going to do. I haven't talked to him and money, money usually talks in the end. But what I know is, and I've told you this before, in these situations, a lot of times guys opt to go elsewhere rather than returning to the place where they were for a pay cut, even if you may make a little bit less somewhere else. Now, I know here what they would try to do is make it up to him in incentives. So that way he could make up the money that he lost. So there are ways to get back up there. It's just a matter of would he want to to go down that road or just go elsewhere. And this is all a big if because if they have if they find a guy in the draft, then they're not going to do that. Um, I do think he'd be a key loss because of how much he helps the young players with his knowledge. He's such a smart player, and you know I would say nobody's irreplaceable, but some of the little things are tougher to replace, like the smarts and leadership that he offers. And even if you go get a guy, whether it's a Kyle Ham Hamilton. Jaquan Brisker, at some point, because again, they do like him. Um, if you get him later, those guys can be really good, but you know, it takes a while to build up um, the leadership and the smarts end uh, as well. So not impossible, just something that you would miss with him. 
Anyway, that's it from me. After this break, I'll be back with ESPN NFL draft analyst Jordan Reed. What does he think of Ohio State receiver Chris Olave and Washington's options at 11? Also, is there a quarterback later in the draft that he likes? Guys, if you're looking for that extra confidence when it's time to have a little bit of fun, let me tell you about BlueChew.com. BlueChew is a unique online service. It delivers the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, but it comes in chewable form and it's at a fraction of the cost. BlueChew's tablets will help you combat all forms of ED. Plus, it's an online prescription service. No visits to the doctor's office, no awkward conversations, no waiting in line at the pharmacy, and it ships right to your door in a discreet package. The process is really simple. Sign up at BlueChew.com, consult with one of their licensed medical providers, and once you are approved, you'll receive your prescription within days, and the best part, all done online. BlueChew's licensed medical providers are going to work with you to find the right ingredient and the strengths for your personal subscription. Plus, their tablets are made in the United States. They prepare, they ship direct, and it's so much cheaper than going through a pharmacy. And here's a special deal for our listeners. Try BlueChew free when you use our promo code KIME, K-E-I-M, at checkout. Just pay $5 shipping. That's BlueChew.com, promo code KIME, K-E-I-M, to receive your first month free. And we thank BlueChew for being a sponsor of our show. Welcome back. Now, here's my conversation with ESPN's Jordan Reed. Well, Jordan, I want to start off with the receiver position because I think that's going to be one that's going to intrigue Washington at 11. And there are some there are a few really good players that's who will be available at the, or might be available at that spot. But how many of those guys do you think go in the top 10? Because you start to hear a lot of buzz right now about London, Garrett Wilson. I think we'll see two in the top 10 right now, whether it's Atlanta at eight or the New York Jets at 10 or even the commanders at 11. So I think we could see two to three go inside of that top 11 range. Um, right now, Garrett Wilson, he's my top ranked guy. I like him a lot. Reminds me a lot of Stefan Diggs when he was coming out of Maryland. And I know Diggs was a fifth round selection back in 2015, I believe it was. But we both know Wilson is going to go much higher than that. But just as far as the body control, just the consistency that he has with his hands and then just the range outside of the strike zone, being able to go up and attack the football. I think those are some of his better qualities. He's so creative as a route runner too. So I like him a lot. Jamison Williams, I think he's going to go much earlier than a lot of people are expecting. It would surprise me if he goes to Philadelphia or even the Saints inside of the top 18. That is not out of the question at all, but we know the lowest that he will go is 29 or 30 to the Kansas City Chiefs. There's no way that they're going to pass on him if he slips that far, but I think he's going to go much earlier than that. The Chargers at 17 wouldn't surprise me either, but Drake London, I think he's one name that probably will be circled for the commanders at number 11 overall, just because he has some of the qualities that they don't have on the depth chart right now. We know Terry McLaurin is a stud. We don't need to spend too much time on him. They're hoping to get more out of Curtis Samuel next year. Hopefully he can stay healthy for a full 17 games next year. But as far as Drake London, just how big he is at six foot three and a half, 215 pounds, the way he goes up and attacks the football, he reminds me a lot of Mike Williams when he was coming out of Clemson. Yes. Um, I, I don't see Mike Evans. I think Mike Evans was just so different as far as being a bigger wide receiver. 
But I think where he kind of differentiates a little bit from Mike Evans is that London gives you a whole bunch after the catch. I think he's such a big threat after the catch. He can give you a lot of yak yards, yards after the catch, too. So um, USC force fed him a lot on those perimeter screens and then just trying to get the ball to him as quickly as possible. That's where you're able to see just how athletic, athletic, uh, excuse me, athletically gifted he is. Well, and the other thing that impressed me with him, too, is that they would line him up all over and they would almost line him up at times in traditional tight end like a Jordan Reed type role sometimes you know what I mean like whether it's like as an as a you know uh, an H-back or move move tight end sometimes then you're playing as a receiver so like there's that versatility and for a longer guy he's not a burner necessarily but he's but to get in and out of the breaks he does pretty well for a guy who's longer he does not I think he's an underrated route runner too and everybody's saying that he's just a vertical ball specialist and I think that's just one area that he specializes in I don't think his entire game revolves around that and if you go and watch him there's plenty of games that you can watch throughout the year you can just play any mini mighty mo with any one of those games that he played in last year you're going to see him you're going to see him produce in all those games so I think something that he does well for himself is not only playing above the rim but also his basketball background I think that comes to fruition a lot throughout his game but it's not a sense of where that's what his game really revolves around so I think when some people are a little bit nervous about Drake London I think they're taking away some of his best traits and it's not just that he wins so cleanly at the catch point I think he's an underrated route runner too yeah and and uh, Chris Olave another one that 11 and you know I think uh, people may like Wilson and you know there are going to be some people who may like Olave more than Wilson um, what do you think of him? And I know they're they're slightly different receivers, obviously, but yeah. what do you what do you think of Olave? He's smooth. Yeah. Nothing's ever forced with him. He has the vertical speed, but also you can get him on some of those quick shallow crossers just to get the ball in his hands as quickly as possible and then just allowing his speed to take over. Kind of reminds me of Will Fuller when he was coming out of Notre Dame, but I think he's much more consistent as far as a catcher of the football than Will Fuller, but just trying to paint a picture of what he could be on the next level. It's just his ability to play so much stress on defenses. He can attack them vertically, but also he can win in the short to intermediate areas too. And he's so gifted as a route runner too. And like I said, everything's just so smooth in his game overall. Is 11 too high for him or no? Uh, I, I... I don't think so, just because I think he adds a different dynamic. And I think that's what Washington is looking for, especially when you're talking about coupling him with Wentz. Wentz, everybody knows that for whatever reason, he just doesn't like taking those outlet passes or those check downs to his running back. So he's one that just loves to chuck the ball down the field. And Olave is that type of receiver that you just it's impossible to out throw him just because he has the speed in order to catch up to the ball no matter where it is. He's also like, and you brought the word smooth. He's a very smooth route runner too. Yeah, yeah. He he's a technician at the position, and I mean, just look where he went to school. Brian Hartline is doing a tremendous mm-hmm. job with all those guys, so that's not surprising at all. And then you know, the last thing with him too is you brought up the shallow crossers, which is a part of their game, their offense that this team wants to develop more. And so I think that's another reason why that it, again, it depends on how the board falls if they would go that route. And then so what. What is the gap between those guys? And you brought up Jameson Williams. And I think because of his injury, he's in a different category. But between those those top three and then the rest of that receiver class, is there a big gap? I don't think so. I mean, I, I think this receiver class is really, really strong all through three days. Honestly, I don't think there's a precipitous drop off 
as far as significance until like the fifth or sixth round. But I mean, you're just throwing darts at the dartboard at that at that point with some of these wide receivers. So I think this wide receiver class is one of the better ones that we have had. And um, as far as from a depth perspective, I think it's one of the better ones that we have seen. Now, the the high end receivers, as far as the star power, isn't as good as what we have seen in years past, especially last year, going back to Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, then also Devontae Smith. I don't think any of those guys in this class will be ahead of those three. But as far as the depth from top to bottom, I think this is one of the better receiver classes that we have had in quite some time. How a year ago, this team drafted De'Ami Brown. What was your take on him and what do you think he can still do? I love Deami coming out and I thought it was a great pick from when it was coming out. Now we'll see if he's able to get a little bit better this year. I think he will be. But as far as the deep areas of the field, I think that's where Deami is at his best just because with him and Sam Howell, they had such a special connection during the 2020 season of where he's so good at tracking the ball down the field and he's able to run so easily past defenders. I think that's where he's at his best when he can attack those deeper portions of the field. Now where Diamond needs to get better is just those shorter intermediate areas and then just snapping off his routes and being more precise in with those routes in those areas too. So you still think he can be a, and I like, you can't write a guy off after one year. And right. you know, I know like there's more receivers coming in who are making an impact, but it's still a position that can be difficult to make that instant impact um, in, in certain situations. So, but you're, you're still hopeful that this guy can do something. Yeah. I think he can be your number three wide receiver, especially with Curtis Samuel being banged up quite a bit. I think you have to have some type of insurance behind Curtis Samuel. So I think Diami definitely can be that, but I would feel comfortable drafting another guy too, especially with Samuel battling some injury issues. So let's go to quarterbacks. And this team is not going to take a quarterback at 11. Once they got Wentz, they kind of, they still will, they still may take one in this draft. It's just not at 11. Um, I did see video of a quarterback the other day at a camp and it looked, he looked a lot like you throwing some bullets, <laughs> some in route. So, you know, people want to go check that out. I think that was on your Twitter feed, but yeah. Um, how do you how do you look at these? You know, because again, Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett. Do you think they'll go in the top ten? Because again, that's going to push someone down to Washington that maybe ordinarily would not have been there. Well, first thing I will say, I've had to ice my shoulder the past two days after th- <laughs> after throwing. It was about five passes, so I'm definitely retired. I'm only playing all time quarterback, uh, flag football team now. That's all I'm doing, but. This quarterbacks are, I think it's it's very different than what we have seen in years past. I will say that just because we've always had that top guy that's jumped out to us as far as being QB one. And I touched on it a little bit earlier where it was Kyler Murray three years ago, Joe Burrow two years ago. And then last year with Trevor Lawrence, we've had that guy that announced themselves as I'm QB one in this class. We haven't had that with this QB class. And you can ask five different scouts around the league like I've done, and they can have five different orders of how they see the top five quarterbacks in this group. Right now I have Malik Willis and then also Kenny Pickett as my top two quarterbacks. But once again, you can ask anybody that does this for a living, whether it's inside the league or from a media perspective, they're probably going to have a different order of how they have these guys ordered. But I've been to pretty much all the pro days for the quarterbacks. I've seen Scott Turner, Luke Del Rio, and Mar- Marty Mayhew at, <laughs> at every single Marty Herney, excuse me, at every single one that I've been at. So they're doing their homework on all of these guys. If I had to predict, I don't think they would take one at 11 or 47 right now, honestly, just because of the draft capital that you give up for Carson Wentz. But if a Sam Howell or a Desmond Ritter is there in the second round, 
I think is very tempting for them just because of what we have seen from Carson Wentz in years past. And I think they would want a security blanket in case things don't work out there. So it wouldn't surprise me if they take one in the second round, but I don't think so at 11. Right. And I agree with that. So, so with, um, and you're right about when you talk to people about those quarterbacks, you can talk to a couple of people in the same organization and they're going to have different opinions on, on those guys. But with, with the, with the Ritter worth the how, do you see anybody maybe even falling to the third round where then they could feel like they got better value? And because my thing would be too, is if you get someone in the second round, there's still going to be an automatic assumption like, uh Oh, could they challenge Carson Wentz? And I don't know. I think they want to try to avoid that, but could you see one of those guys even falling to the third round or, or which is there a quarterback in that, you know, after the second round that you say, this is a guy I keep an eye on. The only one I see is Carson Strong from Nevada. I think he probably goes late second, early third. The same run that we saw last year um, with Kyle Trask and Davis Mills and also Kellen Mond. I think he probably could go in that area. I think all those guys went back to back to back, if I'm not mistaken, in the late first, early third round. So I think Carson went, or excuse me, Carson Strong, talking about too many Carsons at one time, but Carson Strong, I think he could go in that area. But also if they have interest in a quarterback, with that fourth round pick, I believe it's number 113 overall. Mm-hmm. Bailey Zappi from Western yeah. Kentucky. I think he's one that definitely could pique their interest too. Why is that? Um, just how smart he plays the game. And he actually reminds me a lot of Taylor Heineke quite a bit. So I don't think he's ever going to end up being a starter. But if you want that high quality insurance or that backup, in a sense, um, I know with Heineke, I think he's entering the, the last few years of his deal. So if they want to have that guy, the stash on the practice squad, and they just want to do away with Heineke, you have an exact replica of him that you can use as a backup like Bailey Zappi. He's been super productive. Uh, over 60 touchdowns and then almost 6,000 passing yards last year has a stronger arm than given credit for, but he just has that charisma at the position. And he just has such a magnetic personality, exactly like a Taylor Heineke. He's literally an exact replica. If you were able to rewind time and go look at Taylor Heineke from old dominion and then look at Bailey Zappi now from his time from Houston Baptist to Western Kentucky, he reminds me a lot of him coming out. Carson Strong, any concerns about the knees? Because that's, you know, that's one thing I think that, you know, if he falls, it's, it would probably be for that reason. But what do you, any concerns there for you? Well, I mean, the tough thing from the media side is that we don't have access to the medicals. Right. So I can't really speak on his situation. All we can do is just go by what he said. He said the knee is healthy. And I think the last surgery that he had was prior to uh, this past season, and he said he feels fine. He's moving around fine, too. I thought he moved around decently at the Senior Bowl. When I saw him there, he didn't have any brace. He didn't have a brace on it either. So all we can do is just go by what he's saying, but I can't really speak on that because I don't have access to the medicals. And and you're right. And so, But it, I think for people listening, if he does fall, it's probably that reason. As a player, yeah. as a player, what intrigues you about him? Just the arm strength that he plays with, and then also just the responsibilities that he had in Nevada's offense. I think him, Ritter, and Pickett, will probably be the most mature as far as from a responsibility standpoint with what they were tasked with at the line of scrimmage. You can see him on film audibling out of plays, hitting his hot routes against blitzes, calling out blitzes, and then setting protections too. And it's very rarely to see quarterbacks, especially at this day and age of where everything is so signal-based and pretty much set for them. As far as from a pre-snap perspective, you don't really see that. It's kind of a lost art in today's college game. All right, I want two more positions and then wrap it up here. Always appreciate your time. Running back, because I think I would not be shocked at all if this team takes a running back. Edwards, Michigan State, I think that's going to be a guy. Like, what do you think of him and where do you think he might, what areas might he 
would, would he would be the sweet spot to draft him. Kenneth Walker is that who I'm you sorry, mean? I'm sorry, yeah. I meant Kenneth Walker. Yes, oh, no, I'm you're sorry. fine. I'm just yeah, making yeah, sure yeah. we're on the same that. page. <laughs> you're good. Making sure yes. we're on the same page. Yes, but yeah, no, I, I mean, yeah. I think the second round. I think they're in prime position at. Uh, that second round pick that they have, number 47 overall, if they want to take a running back there. I think that's probably where we'll start to see some of these running backs come off of the board. I think middle of the second round to late second round, whether it's Brees Hall, Isaiah Spiller, then also Kenneth Walker the third from Michigan State. I think those are the three that are probably going to go first, if I had to guess right now. But this running back class, I think, is one of the deeper positions across the board. Now, similar to quarterback, there's no one that just comes out and screams that they're the top player at the position. From But from a depth perspective, if you're looking to add some of these guys to a committee, I think there's plenty of guys to choose from in this group. I like Walker a lot. And even though I botched his name, but I like Walker. I like him a lot. And, you know, he, he made a lot of plays for that Michigan State offense. And he was in that Heisman contention. What do you like about his game? Just the strength that he plays with. He's such a natural tackle breaker. He has a very mature frame as well, walking through the door. Like he was one of the most impressive as far as from a body type perspective. Seeing him at the combine, he's layered so well. It reminds me a lot of Kareem Hunt when he was coming out of Toledo, just from a running style perspective, the contact balance that he plays with, and I think an underrated factor about him. And I think this is where you really have to do your homework on him is that he wasn't given a lot of opportunities to catch the ball at Michigan State. But at the combine, when he's going through drills, he's catching the ball. Everything looks so natural and comfortable for him. So I think there's a lot more meat on that bone as far as him being involved in the passing game than what he was able to show at Michigan State. Just once, I'd like to have someone say about me when I walk through the door that they notice my body. You know what I mean? Like, just, <laughs> yeah. like yeah, That's just an impressive thing. It, it, it's never going to happen. So I, I think that dream is over. Um, offensive line, because they need a guard. Um, and there's there's some guards that seem intriguing. It's also, it seems to be a good tackle class. So at 11, what if there is a, which, is there a tackle you think could fall to 11? And I bring that up because if they did go there, you could push Cosme inside if they wanted to do that what do you think first of all do you what do you think of that scenario I think it would be great I mean whenever you're talking about the offensive line I don't think you can ever go wrong picking those guys just because it's never the sexy pick it's kind of like I always compare it to getting socks on Christmas it's never the <laughs> yes. sexy pick but man you never get too excited about it but you always need it in the end so it's never it's never a standout pick that's plenty to talk about but whenever you can get an offensive lineman and you can add it to your room. I think it's always great, especially for Washington that lost such a great player in Brandon Sheriff. And I know they brought in Andrew Norwell, who still has something left in the tank. I think there's still something there, but you can never have too many offensive linemen in the room. And then, you know, so is there a tackle? Because you got there are a couple of tackles that look like some sometimes you look at those top 10 picks and it's like, oh, three tackles are gonna go. But if two receivers go in the top 10, maybe one of those tackles fall. Who would be the tackle that you could see maybe being there at 11 if they wanted to go that route? I think there's two that could be there. Charles Cross from Mississippi State. I think he's one that he's one of my favorites in this class. I would take him with the top 10 pick, but he's not going to be for everybody. And what I mean by that is he kind of has more of a lean body in a sense, kind of built like Sam Cosme a little bit and that he's more the athletic type. He's not this big mauler that's just going to maul people in the running game. But I think he's the most polished from a pass protection standpoint, but there's going to be some people that just want to see him be a little bit better as far as a run blocker. But the thing about that is he just wasn't given a lot of opportunities just because he played in Mike Leach's system of where they had an 81-19 split as far as pass, pass to run ratio, which is 
huge as far as the difference, as far as the exposure and then just the experience that he had from a run blocking perspective. So there's going to be some questions about that with him. That's why I said he's not going to be for everybody. So I think he may be there for the commanders at 11, but also Trevor Penning from Northern Iowa. I think there's a lot of variants of opinions on him right now. Seattle could take him at nine. Atlanta could take him at eight. There's so many different teams that could take an offensive tackle that early. I mean, even Carolina could take him at six. They're, they're a team that's in the offensive tackle hunt right now, as well as quarterback. So pinning is another one that, that I could see being there as well if they want to take an offensive tackle. So and would you be, you know, because again, that would require them pushing Cosme inside. Do you like that idea? I don't. I mean, I thought Cosme was fine at right, right tackle. And I think tackles are more valuable than guards, especially when you see somebody already have success at that spot. I don't want to mess with that, especially when you're talking about a young player. Now you're asking him to pretty much throw away everything that he learned as a rookie and then asking him to play an entirely new position by sliding him inside, which is much different than playing tackle. So who is a guard that would tempt you? Is Zion Johnson going to be the first guard? And, you know, where would that where would be the sweet spot for him? Yeah, I think Zion, he, I mean, I love Zion Johnson. He's been the most impressive player throughout the pre-draft process. For me, I would take him with the top 20 pick. If it were up to me, that 15 to 20 range, I would be comfortable taking him there. But every team's not going to value interior offensive linemen taking them that high. Kenya Green from Texas A&M is another name that is in the running to be a first-round selection. But I think there's some better value that you can get in the second or even the fourth round. Second round, you could get somebody like Darian Kennard from Kentucky, yeah, exactly. who primarily played tackle, but I think he's probably going to have to slide inside to guard. Sean Ryan from UCLA is another name, too. And then Jamari Sawyer from Georgia, who's played pretty much every position up front when he was at Georgia. So I think there's a lot of value in this interior offensive line class. And I think just 11 is just way too rich to take any of these guys. There's no Quentin Nelson or anybody like that that's just a surefire guy on the next level. And that last thing then, very last thing on Johnson, what is it? Because you talk about Mahler, right? I mean, is that something you like about his game too? Well, he's just so consistent. And similar to some of the other players that I've talked about earlier, nothing looks forced with him. And then he's just nasty as a run blocker, but he's also efficient as a pass protector too. Played primarily offensive tackle and then guard during his four years at Boston College, but he played a little bit of center at the Senior Bowl, and that was his first time ever playing it. You see him staying after practice, getting some extra snaps with the quarterbacks, and those are some things that scouts just love. Me just writing, sitting in the press box, I'll never forget him staying after practice. Everybody else was gone from the field. He pulled Malik Willis aside, who was going to participate in the practice after that, just trying to get some more snaps from shotgun with him. So just trying to learn center just because he had never snapped before. Little things like that are just things that you love to see just because it just shows their work ethic and that he wants to be good. And that's why I would take Zion Johnson in the first round. Yeah, and I think if this team did it, they you'd have to trade back, and which would not be yeah. a bad strategy because you get some more picks. Because like round, they only they have the second, you know, but you need to get more picks in that second to fourth round to me in this draft because there'd be a lot of value there. So Jordan, appreciate your work, appreciate your time, great insight as always. Is there anything you want to plug that you have coming up? Also, uh, myself and Matt Miller, we have weekly draft notebooks that are coming out that we talk about just different yeah. things that are going on around the draft industry. Right now, last week, we talked about Damone Clark's injury, yeah. uh, some other things he talked about, or I talked about, excuse me, which tackle could be taken first between Akima Kwanu and then also Evan Neal. So little things like that is what we're putting out every day. And then also, I actually have a seven-round, full seven-round mock draft, all 262 picks coming out next week. So hopefully Washington fans don't kill me too much on who I had them taking for their six so, picks in this draft. 
what were you drinking when you decided to do a seven round mock? So it's one of the hardest things that I have to do every year, but I mean, this is my job. This is what I love it's to do. Great. And it's, it's, yeah. it's always great just seeing 32 different teams and just different tendencies that they have. I try to pick up and do my homework on different tendencies that they have shown throughout the regime's tenure. So I actually enjoy doing them, even though they're a little bit tedious at times. I just enjoy seeing how they all stack up at the end. Well, if you don't mind me asking, then I'll keep you one more minute longer. But what tendency do you see from this group that maybe jumped out to you? Anything? Um, I would have to look back at my notes, honestly, um, but nothing really stood out a whole bunch as far as some patterns that they had in the past. Um, but I will give away who I had them taking at 11. I had them taking Drake London uh, at 11 wow. overall. So um, I think it would be a really good fit for them. And we've already talked about we talked about Drake plenty on this episode already. But as far as the compliment that he would be to Terry McLaurin and then also Curtis Samuel, I think he's just a great fit for Carson Wentz and what they want to do, what Scott Turner wants to do offensively. Big receivers. Yeah. They could, they could use the big receivers. Jordan, thank you very much and always appreciate it, man. You're, you're great. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks as always, John. It's always a pleasure. That's it for this episode. I'll be back with another one on Monday, talking to my pal Rick Snyder about Jack Hancock. It's been 25 years since he died. So many changes since then. Rick will talk about the sale of the team from that time. Some good stories there with Rick. And also have NFL's former NFL scout Tyler Roman on as we look at some possible late round gems to keep your eyes on. Talk to you next time.